cauldron-stirring witch. We must find the book, brew the potion, and suck the lives out of the children of Salem before sunrise. Otherwise, it's curtains. Hi, I'm Matthias, and this is V Wanna Know, the show where celebrities get curious. On this podcast, we invite on some of the biggest names in pop culture and ask them one topic that they're dying to know more about. It can be anything from aliens to forensic science to gun control. It's completely up to them. Then we invite an expert on that topic to come on the show and let our guests pick their brains all about it. On today's episode, Banks learns about modern witchcraft. Okay, here's what it's giving. It's giving Harry Potter. It's giving Sarah Jessica Parker and Hocus Pocus. It's giving Charmed, the original, not the revamp. We're all familiar with witchcraft. There's the spells, the brooms, the toads... And I'm sure you already know this, but these fictitious worlds of sorcery and magic, the likes of which we find on TV and in books for those who read, they are just that. They are fictitious. The word might actually be fictional, but this is not a grammar podcast. They are one of those two things, though. There is, however, a very real and non-fictional presence of witchcraft in our world. Thousands of people across the globe consider themselves to be witches, such as Wiccans, who celebrate pagan holidays and practice witchcraft as a religion in a very literal sense. When this religion first came to public attention, after starting in 1950s England, Gerald Gardner, the man regarded as the father of Wicca, okay, hot, referred to the religion as the craft of the wise, witchcraft, and the witch cult. So the connection between witchcraft and Wicca is pretty self-evident. But how do we break down the differences between magic, witchcraft, Wicca, and other branches of paganism? That's what Banks would like to know. Our specialist on today's show is Dr. Ethan Doyle White. He specializes in Wicca and other forms of modern paganism and has a PhD from the University College of London. Enjoy the show. Gillian Rose Banks, better known just as Banks is an American singer-songwriter. Especially earlier in her career, her music was often referred to as dark pop or brood pop. It's pretty witchy music, so that's very fitting for this episode. But if you want evidence of Banks' artistic growth, you need look no further than her brand new album, Serpentina, which sees Banks experimenting with gospel, stripped-back piano, and emotive vocalizations, really just anything that pushes her artistic boundaries. On Zane Lowe's show, she recently said, I know Jillian is Banks and Banks is Jillian, and this is true, but the world didn't really know Jillian, even as we hummed along to her songs or snuck into the photo pits of her concerts, there's more on that later. This new album, I believe, changes that, so get to know her. Miss Banks, we're so excited to, to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Of course, I'm so excited to talk about this. Uh, me too. It's a subject that in doing like the preliminary research, I was looking at it and was like, oh shit, I, I know literally nothing about this. When this episode comes out, you'll have released your fourth album already. 
And I was looking back, which was like such a pleasure to do at all of your older albums also. And was like, okay, we have Goddess, there's Serpentina with the song, The Devil. I was even thinking about like the altar. Uh, like to me, it feels like a religious, like I, when I think of an altar, I think of something religious. So I was kind of like, wow, at, like, I guess it's always kind of been there, but I hadn't really thought about sort of all the like religious or spiritual things that you have been pulling into your music, like from the beginning. So I'm wondering if you can speak about for you personally, like where is that intersection between religion or spirituality and your art? And have you always very consciously been trying to merge the two? Yeah, I definitely have not consciously tried to merge the two. I think it just kind of like naturally happens because I think creation is somewhat spiritual inspiration is it feels like it's not tangible it's not of this earth and I think that's what I mean I'm not a religious person but I think that my connection to my art and you know when I'm creating where it comes from it feels like it's not um it's magic like you can't really explain it and I think that I just naturally feel so um empowered and in tune with myself in this way that feels really intangible. And I feel that that's why kind of like those metaphors always come through. I think that it's great. I mean, religion is supposed to ground people. And for me, that's what my music does. And um, it kind of makes me believe in something bigger, the the passion I have for it and the, the way that I create it. And I think that that's why it's always kind of been like a through line in all of my in all of my albums. I thought you might answer something along those lines, just because I was watching an old interview that you gave maybe with Billboard or something, and you were talking about how a lot of melodies and sometimes even lyrics come to you in your sleep. Yeah. And in in that context, you weren't like, oh, and it's such a spiritual thing. But I was like, I'm sure she wakes up and kind of has like a, that's just like a kind of profound thing that feels beyond our like physical realm and and I too am not a religious or necessarily even very spiritual person but I can understand that sort of feeling of that just feels beyond you know and I mean my last album had a song called Alaska on it and I dreamt that whole song like the night before I like woke up the chorus goes like Jimmy, 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 don't go. I found a letter from your friend. He said you go. He said you were going to the mountains with the most snow so long. I like had this whole dream about about that, the entire image of Alaska and that that melody and stuff. And that happens to me a lot. Like it's crazy. I'll, if I'm going through a stage where I'm writing a lot of music, I'll write in my sleep. It's so crazy. My dreams are wild, though. I've always been like, really big. <laughs> Youngian fan. <laughs> that, um, he's, you know, big on dreams and and how it's like your subconscious guiding you. And I feel like that um, is really how I feel. I've had some like really magical dreams in my life that I think have been extremely impactful. So um, yeah, I think that's that's definitely a part of it. But yeah, I think in terms of melodies and like the soulfulness of a person is so I've thought so much about not like I'm like constantly thinking about death or anything but the idea that like you don't know where a soul comes from like I know my DNA is like part my mom and part my dad but my personality and like the soul of who I am is not from them so where is that from and when does it enter the baby and blah 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 blah. like all those questions they just like trip me out and I do feel like the magic that happens with creation and music is 
on that level of like, what is a soul? Cause yeah. it's crazy how each person, you know, creates their own energy field and like the muse, you know, each artist I'll say has their own essence. I mean, a real artist, I, I, mean, I don't mean, well, that's fucked up. I, I'm talking about people who like make their <laughs> own art. You know what I mean? Yes. They, yes. they have such a personal, it feels like them. It sounds like them. There's like an essence of who they are. And I think that that is as magical as like a soul because that is kind of there's there it's like comes from each other no totally and I think just like what you're also touching on just the idea of creation in itself of like okay if you're looking at like maybe more typical Christianity as an example of like God created the world in this many days and it's this act of creation that's so like holy and incredible and so as an artist you know every time that you're you're creating it is like you said it's magic it's just mm -hmm. it's just something sort of beyond and there was another interview actually and you you talked about a goddess of um creation and destruction I'm blanking on her name Ali? do you remember yes that's who it was you kind of just like dropped that out at some interview of just yeah. talking about being very sort of inspired by that can you expand a little bit more I think with darkness comes light with destruction comes creation with me like with depression comes creation and creation is light like so it's like I think sometimes you have to go pretty dark in order to emerge again as like a bigger brighter version of yourself and I think that that goddess Kali um represents that for me because she is the goddess of destruction and creation those two things like kind of go together you can't you can't create something if there's no room to create it um so right. I think that I've always thought that was kind of a beautiful uh sentiment yeah definitely tell me a little bit more about the song the devil in particular I was reading something you were saying about it but I think the way that you sort of got there and why you decided to sing about it is such an interesting story that's maybe not what somebody would perceive the first time they hear it yeah, I felt like in order to, I mean, everybody went through crazy mental transformation during quarantine and that whole, you know, traumatic time. And we're still kind of going through it, but um, I had never spent that much time alone. And I think that things that I needed to confront and, and work through really rose to the surface and like my true demons, I feel like rose to the surface. And um I had this thought one day, like, you can't be soft and sweet to overcome demons. You have to be stronger than a demon. You have to be fucking like a devil, you know, like what's stronger than a demon, a devil. So, so this one night when I was writing, I was just like, I'm the fucking devil and I'll like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, that's kind of how the concept of the song came about. And it was really fun and I started I mean like usually my songs they just come so naturally I don't really think about them but this song was so conceptual it was kind of fun I initially I was like kind of thinking of this plot almost where it's like the devil is tired of his job and he kind of wants to resign and then there's this girl on earth that is so tired of trying to be good all the time and she and then they kind of like connect with each other and they're like let's switch places and so the I love the devil and I think that um, that's why there's a, I can't even think right now of the lyrics, but there's <laughs> like, I heard the bones in, in the devil retired. It's like he retired, I'm ready to take over. So that kind of concept came together and it was such a fun song to make. 
I love it. I mean, it's such a cool idea. I was reading the lyrics and it is very like, as if there was a LinkedIn posting, you know, the devil's just like, <laughs> I'm out, like I'm retiring, like I'm out. Right. And then some girl who's just like very bored is like, maybe I'll apply for that job. Yeah. And that's why the video, like I want I, I had never really seen a, like a female mob boss in a movie. And so right. I, I was like, I kind of want, it's like, obviously Elizabeth Hurley and Bedazzled, like is just the best um that was an inspiration and then like um the death becomes her just like the campiest coolest movie ever um yeah but yeah it was fun that was really fun to it's not so serious I think that's another thing about this chapter for me is I'm really having fun and I just like I know I'm I'm I have fun with my art and I'm kind of in that stage where that's what I'm doing it's really fun yeah. to just it's fun to create and it's not so serious. And I think that um, the devil was exactly that. I was just like having fun and playing a role. I kind of got the feeling in listening to the album that it's like- Oh, you've heard the whole album. I've heard the whole album, yes. Your team hooked it up. No, I, I loved the album. And I was gonna say like, I, I like, I loved it so much and I felt very much, and I've loved your music for a really long time. And I felt like it was both, um, I don't know. I feel like every time you put out an album, again, I'm going through old uh, like interviews with you. Everybody's like, it feels like this is the most intimate one. And then you put out another one and everyone's like, this is the most intimate yeah. one. But I mean, there's some truth to it and tracks like I still love you and stuff that are so stripped back. And so like, it just does feel extremely authentic. And then it also felt like really sort of experimental. Like I feel like one track to the next was like, you were just like trying different shit out. And I think that takes... Yeah, just fun, but also just like a level of confidence that maybe like back in 2014 or whatever, you just didn't feel mu like it's a learning curve, right? So yeah, a hundred percent. I, I feel like the best artist I've ever been. And I feel the most grounded in who I am. And I think that that allowed me to be more, a little bit freer in um, just creating and not like, I don't need to prove anything. I'm just, in, I just make music like, and I just love creating. And so I think that opening the album with Misunderstood was a really fun thing for me because it's like, not only do I not care if you misunderstand me, but please misunderstand me. Like, it's not like I want people not to understand me, but I think that track is just like, if you don't, I just grow from it. You know, like every time somebody didn't listen, then I wouldn't need these vocals, man, but I still got my mic in hand. It's kind of just like, I grow from it. So it's it's like opening this chapter on kind of like, I'm about to have fun and create and go wild. And you, I hope you get it, but if you're not, if you don't like, that's cool too. Um, right. <laughs> and yeah, I think I Still Love You closing the album with that was really special. I mean, that song's like my baby. I've had it for such a long time. Um, yeah. And then, you know, fuck love is so much fun. That's like the hardest song I've ever done. I don't mean hard. Like it was so hard to make. I mean, like it felt like really like, yeah, like it going hard. Yeah. Like deep in the, the gut or something. This is also um, just like personal old history of you. And I had to look this up, of course, but you performed at Terminal 5 in New York, apparently on September 30th of 2014. And I went to that show and I was going as press. And I remember when I got there and I don't know if it, maybe it was someone on this call or why, but they were like, oh, you're with the photographers, right? And I wasn't. I was just oh there to like God. write about the show. 
but they were like okay so then you go to the photo pit and I was like well that's like the best seat in the house so like I'll just go so it's at this show and like there's all these photographers with their like huge cameras taking these like You're probably just, like, amazing portraits I literally just have my iPhone I'm like me too sis like I'm also here <laughs> taking pictures of you I love it it was so fun and it was such a it was really really early days for you also and it was still like just such a fun 14? I think it was 2014 yeah okay Cool. Um, yeah, so it was ages ago, but I'm bringing it up not only because it made me lol when I remembered, but also I'm just curious about with the new album of like bringing everything to life. I know you've performed a couple of the songs already, but just generally, what are your plans with like live shows? I'm so excited. I'm just, you know, I, I kind of holding back was the first song I've performed in years, but also just the first time I was able to create again with the idea of like performing live and movement and um, what type of energy I want to bring. And I feel like it's going to be fresh. It's going to be new. It's going to be empowering and fun and slinky and all the things <laughs> that I have always been, but maybe magnified a little bit. Cool. Well, I can't wait. I'll, <laughs> I'll sneak into the photo section again yes! whenever, you're, whenever <laughs> it happens. I love it. Can you tell us why you wanted to learn more about modern witchcraft? Well, it's always intrigued me. I don't think people know much about it. I feel like in pop culture, when it's shown on TV or in movies or whatever, it's always like creepy, weird, like I'm a witch, like stuff like that. But I, I have a feeling it's not really like that. Um, it also focuses a lot on like gods and goddesses, which has always been a really big theme in my music and also I just feel like I have magical powers and I always have I can just unlock them so maybe I'll <laughs> learn a little bit about that sorry to laugh it's not it's like actually for real it's just funny <laughs> <laughs> I love that okay thank you so much for that so our, our expert is going to be Dr. White who's actually on this call so Dr. White if you're here just feel free to jump on we're some we're summoning you <laughs> Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining. And if we could just start with you telling us like about your experience with Wicca and basically why we're talking to you about this and your expertise, that would be great. Right. Um, I'm Ethan Doyle White. I'm a historian and a scholar of religion uh, with a PhD from University College London, which is my home city. um, uh, one of my specialisms is uh, Wicca and related forms of modern paganism, uh, on the subject of which I wrote the book uh, Wicca, History, Belief and Community in Modern Pagan Witchcraft, which is out with Sussex Academic Press. And I also have a forthcoming book entitled uh, Pagans with the publisher Thames and Hudson. So cool. Perfect. Thank you for that. Um, so yeah, Banks, go ahead and just feel free to ask, ask away. <laughs> Ah, well, how did you get into it, first of all? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I sort of grew up uh, in an alternative religious movement, um, specifically sort of spiritualism. So I was always used to alternative perspectives. Um, and then I was sort of growing up with, we're about the same age. Um, and on TV, there was these shows like Buffy, there was Charmed. There was a lot of, a lot of witchcraft on film and TV. So it just uh, really attracted my interest. And then going forward, I, I really wanted to know more, to learn more about things. And I ended up pursuing them in, a, in an academic capacity. And yeah, that's brought me to where I am today. Wow. So are witches real? Yes. 
in in the sense of there are you know hundreds of thousands of people who call themselves witches I well I mean like what does that mean to be like when I say do witches exist and you say yes like what is what is a witch it can be one of one of multiple things that's the issue it's one of these words that um has come to me multiple different things in different contexts you know the word comes from the old English language uh, which was spoken during the early middle ages so it's a word with a long history yeah for most of that history it only referred to people who would would cause harm through supernatural means um so if someone was sick if their cow died they would often blame a witch because the assumption was it must be this this person with malevolent powers who will cause harm you know the idea of a good witch at that point in time would have been seen as a contradiction in terms witches were not by definition good it was they were always evil they were always harmful then by sort of the 19th century coming into the 20th century you began to see uh, a growth of the term to describe people who maybe use powers, supernatural, supernormal powers in a good way to help people. Um, and that begins to filter into things like fiction. Probably the best known uh, example of that is Glinda the Good Witch in Wizard of Oz. Um, and you also begin increasingly to see people self-identify as witches. Certainly by the mid 20th century, that's becoming more and more common. Uh, Wiccans are probably the largest group who self-identify as witches, but there are also various other um, groups for one reason or another, for political reasons, for religious reasons, who will also call themselves witches. So if somebody calls themselves a witch, does that mean they think they can do magical things? Usually, usually. Not, not, um, not in, every, in every instance, but yeah. Most of the groups that currently refer to themselves as witches and their practices as witchcraft do believe there are um, forces, if you like, forces in the universe that can be manipulated primarily through certain ritual actions and through the power of the mind, through willpower, to uh, shape, shape physical reality. Um, there are some other people that claim the identity of the witch more as a sort of political statement, um, say in, in sort of second wave feminism from the late 1960s onward, you had uh, some some feminists primarily in the US, but also a little bit elsewhere, that were claiming the identity of the witch because they saw it as sort of a statement of strong female power. They weren't necessarily saying we literally have magical powers, although some were, but it was more about a secular statement. For the people who say they literally have magical powers, what, <laughs> like, what powers? Like, what do they, Well, I, how? I need, I need to learn. I need, like, what do they yeah, mean? And how can she, and how, how can she and learn how to do can that? I learn? <laughs> well, it, increasingly, certainly after the kind of the enlightenment, after the, scientific rationality begins to become a big thing in certain sort of European and, and European descended societies. Um, traditional ideas of, of spells often certainly face a challenge because people increasingly say, oh no, this won't work. So what you begin to see is new ideas about how magic maybe works begin to get formulated. Um, and the idea that's probably most common now, certainly among most Wiccans, is that there are 
forces in energies, if you want, within the universe, within the cosmos, that can be manipulated through human willpower. So if your will is strong enough, you want something to happen enough, and you focus it, it can make your desire happen. It can make your intended want occur. Um, and usually that willpower is focused through ritual actions. So the ritual, the ceremony, the spell is all about focusing the mind on the intention. And it's the willpower behind that intention that they believe will result in the end result that they want. So is it kind of similar to manifesting? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of common ground between those, those sort of different approaches. It's like the secret, or maybe that's the same thing. The thing Oprah is always talking about, <laughs> of the secret of like, you have to envision the parking spot is going to be there and then it's going to be there when you need it. Dr. White, I just want to jump in and see if you can just give us a little bit of like, um, you've been already talking about the history of things. I was surprised to learn that Wicca basically only came to be in like the 1950s. Like it's very, it's a very recent modern religion. So can you just talk about the founding of that um, particular branch and yeah, how it came to be? Yeah. Um, as you said, uh, Wicca kind of emerges in, in England during the yeah, mid, mid to, uh, early to mid uh, 20th century, so probably sort of the 1940s, and then is coming to public emergence in the 1950s. At that time, it's it, it sort of being created by uh, certain uh, British occultists, um, some of whom are then saying, this is an ancient religion that we've inherited from secretive groups. Uh, that exist often in rural areas. Um, some of whom may have genuinely believed that, some may not, and were being deceitful in one way or another. Um, we don't always know. There's still a lot of historical debate about that. But certainly it seems that it was packaged as this is an ancient religion, even when it wasn't. Um, but it was certainly drawing on a, a great many ancient elements and sort of other medieval elements and, and modern elements as well. Um, like it drew a lot from ceremonial or ritual magic, which would have been associated by, with earlier people like Alistair Crowley and the old grimoire traditions. Uh, it inherited elements from Freemasonry. And of course, it drew a lot of the deity forms, gods and goddesses, uh, mythologies from, from various pre-Christian religions as well. So it was drawing all that. And that's how it kind of coalesces and is created in, in England in the mid 20th century before being exported to Australia, the United States, Canada, etc., where it then blossoms and develops into new forms and spreads and, and becomes a, a big international religion. So other than like focusing your mind on things and, and trying to make them happen in terms of similar to manifesting, but not the same thing, is there anything, is there anything else that like... What are like, there's like the, there's a lot of holidays and like, there's a lot of other practices that go into it, right? But I want to talk um, about magic. <laughs> <laughs> are there That's the important thing. we can learn? <laughs> well, there are, you know, many, many books and also now websites and all these sorts of, all sorts of available things, which do teach people how to do, how to do spells effectively and will provide uh, basically, you know, going from sort of basic spells to much more complicated spells that, that anyone can do. Is it a hair of newt mixed with ginger extract with like a rabbit's foot? Is it like in a cauldron? Is there anything like that? I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you could find that. Um, 
but usually usually it's a little um a little easier than that usually things like candles um more readily available items things you could often buy say in a you know mind body spirit store or things like that um there are occultists that do still go in for uh more exotic items such as eye of newt but that's uh less common that's less common what is eye of newt i just said that because i feel like i've seen it in like a movie i think i think it is a it is a an eye of a newt <laughs> um i think it is a literal uh, but that, that's something from uh, say uh, shakespeare's Macbeth. so that was associated you know particularly during when shakespeare was writing you sort of doing the 16th 17th century at that point, witches were bad. You know, the, the whole idea was that they are disgusting, immoral people, mostly women, who are, are going to harm people. They're going to hurt your kids. They're going to kill your cattle. They're going to try and get to you. They are in league with the devil. They're the opposite of all that's good yeah. in the world. Um, so that's the framework in, with which, uh, say, Shakespeare was writing, and people in that period thought about witchcraft why was it mostly thought of as women yeah that's an interesting um point it's probably just an idea that's been inherited certainly from uh classical sources say antiquity you had uh, roman writers um sort of a chap like apuleius who, who who described witches primarily as being women and that has come down through the centuries certainly in european contexts and during the witch trials of the 16th 17th centuries it is mostly women who do get accused. There is some regional variation. For example, in sort of the area in parts of Russia and in Iceland, it is mostly men who get accused. So there are some patches where things are different. On the whole, the idea is that it is, is women. And there's, no, there's been you know, a considerable historical discussions about why that might be the case, you know, bringing in uh, sort of feminist historiography and other ideas. We may never know completely why exactly that was it was just the cultural attitude at the time probably tied in with with broader ideas of misogyny and perception of of, of women being um being more susceptible to sin which was sort of a, a pervasive idea in a lot of these centuries it's funny it's like the it seems like the origins of this and the idea of a witch is like really based in anti-female like patriarchy type of belief systems and like now I mean like the women I've ever encountered that have been like I think I'm a witch or like I'm a witch they're usually like very empowered really in tune like I it's like flipped you know it came it started out being like you know hateful towards women and now like how you say like part of the feminist movement kind of like owning that title it's interesting how it how that happened it's kind of like when I was in college I wrote a paper on how the word bitch has been has been flipped and I have a song that goes you can call me that bitch so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is interesting how it changed um to maybe being something of empowerment now but I what I what I had read but I wanted to ask I just wasn't sure but I remember reading about the Salem witch trials and they said like because they believed women were weaker than men, they were easier targets for the devil to basically convert to do whatever he wanted. So it was like deeply just rooted in misogyny. And it could often be traced back if you say the book of Genesis, where it is uh, Eve that first takes the fruit from the tree and then entices Adam to subdue. So it has this sort of biblical sanction for societies that, that, that took the book of Genesis yeah. literally. 
and that can then tie in with why women are seen as susceptible to sin or more susceptible to sin things like that this is me jumping back a bit but also for for banks's sake and mine <laughs> can you can you give specifics of like some of the rituals that you were talking about before whether you know there's spells or whatever like can you can you give us some actual examples not just of the materials but of like okay i have a spell to try to do this or i have a spell to try to do this like have you ever done spells and what were they and which ones worked best <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a practitioner myself. Um, I sort of study uh, scholar of religion, so I study various uh, traditions. It, it's certainly the case that um, in modern in modern Wiccan contexts, uh, certain purposes for spells do recur. So very often for healing purposes um, will be done if someone, not necessarily even someone who is a Wiccan themselves who is present, but if say a family member is is sick or has to go in for an operation or you know, is, is, is ill in any kind of way, there will often be spells as sort of healing spells to help them out. If someone is looking for a job, going for a job interview, you know, spells to kind of help them, to, to give them that boost. There's sort of ethical debates over, is it right to say, um, have a money spell? Often Wiccans will say, oh no, we shouldn't do that. That's, that's unethical, you shouldn't do that. Or, and of course there's, there's big debates about how, what one should do to avoid um, causing harm through spells. So a very common ethical code that most Wiccans will adhere to is called the Wiccan Read. And it usually goes along the lines of, and it harm none, do what you will. So there's this idea that even if you do cast a spell, you shouldn't do it to curse people. You shouldn't do it to hex people. Of course, there are occultists, other occultists, some of whom will identify as witches who do think it acceptable to curse or to hex. So there, there are differences of opinion. And you've seen this sort of played out in recent years, there was a sort of a magical war sometimes phrased between supporters of Donald Trump and opponents of Donald Trump. And some were sort of hexing or binding him uh, to kind of stop him, well, I don't know, stop him being president or stop him from acting on his views. And then there were other magicians who were giving him support through, through, mag uh, through magical rituals. Um, so you can see there are various different ways in which contemporary magical practices play out and the reasons for doing them. I wanted to ask about like representation and media, but before even just for you, Banks, I'm curious of the, was there like a particular show, book, movie or anything that you just remember when you were younger, you were like, oh, witchcraft like is kind of interesting. Were you a charmed girl? Like any single story book or anything that has a female with magic in it I've always loved mm -hmm. I just find it so fun and when I was little I had a really big backyard and I would I would like go exploring with my sister and if we ever like entered a new little like crevice we'd be like we entered a magic world and, like this world can give you this and yeah I've I mean all of it that's why this all is of it yeah <laughs> I mean, I obviously read all of Harry Potter, obviously. I mean, even Bewitched when I was young. <laughs> I even loved that, you know? Yeah. The idea, especially because in, when was that supposed to be in like the 50s or something? Something like that. Yeah, it's like that, at that time, it was like the pinnacle of housewife, the men worked, you know, and, but she was secretly the one holding all the cards. She could just wiggle her little nose and, things would happen. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that too. 
So I, I guess then the question for you, Dr. White, is like, what are your just general thoughts on how it is depicted in media? Of course, sometimes it's, and maybe it's more often depicted incorrectly. Sometimes it's really negative. Sometimes it's not looked at as a religion. You know, like what, talk to me about that. <laughs> I mean, witches have, have, have fascinated people working in kind of artistic mediums for, for centuries. Um, and it, certainly film and TV has involved witches, you know, going back to say, the origins of film and TV, basically. You said going back to say witch, which I think was like yeah, sixties something like that. It was it was quite a while ago. By the nineties, you know, Wicca was sufficiently known in particularly American, but also say British culture that you began to see the depiction of witches influenced by Wicca in various ways. Um, like in in Buffy uh, the Vampire Slayer, it was coming out sort of late nineties, early noughties. Uh, the character of, of Willow was explicitly referred to as a Wicca. And then in Charmed, which is around about the same time, uh, lots of terminology specifically taken from Wicca was used. I love Charmed. <laughs> but at the same time, those the three, you know, the Halliwell sisters were not presented as Wicca. They weren't, they weren't practitioners of the Wiccan religion. They were witches in the sense of people who had supernatural, supernormal powers and would use spells to mobilize that and this kind of thing. That's different. Like being an actual witch and like doing spells is different than Wicca. Uh, I'd say they're, they're almost like Wicca is perhaps a type of witchcraft. Perhaps that's the best way of thinking of it. But, but a lot of the, the media portrayals would um, portrayals of witchcraft with a flavoring of Wicca, with a hint of Wicca to make it look a bit more authentic. And you've probably seen a bit of a revival of that in uh, recent portrayals as well. Things like the there's been a revived uh, Sabrina, um, there's a revived Charmed. So you're seeing that kind of resurrecting again, um, sort of 10 years after the previous lot. Revived Charmed? I didn't know that. Yeah, there is a new Charmed. It's like very, very 2022. Is it on already? Yeah, I think so. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I just know about it. What about and I haven't actually seen this myself, but um, what about witch talk? Are you familiar with that? Like TikTok yeah. for, for witches? Um, I, what is yeah. that? Witch talk is obviously sort of a, a, an area of, of TikTok, which came out in about 2016, I think. So it's a, the, we're talking about the last sort of roughly about five years you've had witch talk. What it is in a way is a sort of revival of the team witch craze of the late 90s, early noughties. Um, it's a sort of space where teenagers some preteens and some you know people in their 20s who are who are the people who are mostly represented are um basically using tiktok as a as a medium through which to uh present themselves as wiccans or as followers of kind of related related magical related pagan traditions um and and encourage others so it's kind of become a space of this yeah, social space uh in which which that can take place um, as with the kind of previous Team Witch craze movement, whatever you want to call it, of the late 90s, noughties, it obviously has some detractors from older, more established uh, practitioners who worry a bit about uh, young people dabbling in things they don't understand, this kind of thing. And it's, it's probably the case that a lot of those involved in the kind of wicker of witch talk will stop doing so in the next few years. Um, but then some will 
probably also remain, remain Wiccans and remain Wiccans for many decades, if not the rest of their lives, because we saw that same pattern happen with the, the like 90s, early noughties with Team Witch movement. So it seems like it's that's being replayed in the era of uh, more ubiquitous social, social media. Okay, got it. I'm going to just ask my last question. And then Banks, if you have any more questions you want to ask, just go for it. But just because we're, we're starting to run a little short on time. So my last thing is, um, I'm just curious where music plays into Wicca or like witchcraft in, in general. How is that discussed? Um, or is it not? Uh, I, I definitely think it's not necessarily a, a major, a major thing. There will sometimes be things like chanting will sometimes be part of uh, Wiccan rituals. So there is uh, an, an audio, you know, a, a sort of sound-based element a lot of the time. Sometimes they'll use recorded music as well to create a vibe, this sort of thing within the, within the sacred space, within the, the ritual space. Not always, but still, still quite often, it's not an uncommon thing. In terms of having a sort of a, a big influence on music, I don't think that's really happened. It's not like, whereas you have several genres of music like gospel that clearly have Christian roots, there isn't really this big Wiccan music movement yet, but there are um, there are there are bands that have been influenced by uh, modern paganism and, and Wicca, um, sort of sometimes phrasing themselves as like pagan rock. It's not necessarily a big genre of music, um, but it exists and it has a sort of subculture of, of people who, who follow it and, and enjoy it. And then more broadly, there are clearly people who have been you know artists in other genres who, who may or may not be Wiccan themselves, but who draw terms or images from, from Wicca and use that, use that in their work. Are there any famous Wiccans? Are there any famous Wiccans? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, but there could well be people who just choose to do it on the quiet. A lot of, a lot of Wiccans aren't publicly open about what they do because they do worry about social disapproval uh they do worry about um yeah all manner of issues uh that could, could affect them if they were open about it there's even a sort of reference in the Wiccan community as to whether someone is out of the broom closet so again it's drawing on the idea of being out of the closet but with you know combined with the idea that witches have brooms to reflect you know whether someone is open about their Wiccan practice or not um so yeah, there, who knows? There may be many more famous Wiccans than we're aware of. I'm like nudging Banks out of the Wiccan broom closet. I want like a Wiccan pop, like al album number five is Wiccan pop. You'll get super into it. I mean, I'm, I am already into it. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys both so much. That was very um, informative, Dr. White. I really appreciate it. This was so cool. It's been nice to meet you both. Yeah, nice to meet you. Banks' new album, Serpentina, is out now. You can also buy tickets to her tour this summer. To learn more about modern witchcraft, you can pick up a copy of Dr. White's book, Wicca, History, Belief, and Community in Modern Pagan Witchcraft, and keep an eye out for his forthcoming book, Pagans. This show is powered by Ukes, the world's leading online store for fashion, design, and art that lasts a lifetime. V1NO is produced and edited by Ryan Killian Krauss. I'm Matthias, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>